0: you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show,
1: live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Breaking news, Attorney General Jeff Sessions offers to resign because Donald Trump is so pissed off at him. Hey, this whole thing is falling apart, folks. What do you say? On a Wednesday, June 7th. Good to see you today. Welcome to The Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital, reaching out to you all across this great land of ours. Good to have you with us today because we have lots and lots to talk about here on The Bill Press Show on YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, uh, the big stories of the day, all kinds of news is breaking. Jeff Sessions, we learned, uh, offered to resign before the president took off for his foreign trip. We also learned that even before he asked James Comey to drop the investigation, the Russian investigation, uh, Donald Trump asked the director of national intelligence, Mr. Coates, and the uh, director of the of CIA, um, Mike Pompeo, to put pressure on Comey to drop the investigation. More and more evidence of obstruction of justice. Meanwhile, that whole flap over uh, Qatar and Donald Trump taking the side of Saudi Arabia, turns out it might all be fake news started by a Russian hacker. The Wall Street Journal condemns, tells Donald Trump to stop tweeting. But his sons, meanwhile, the guys who are supposed to be running the business, They're all over television attacking the mayor of London and calling the Russian investigation a hoax. The whole damn family is corrupt. We'll get into all of that news of the day with you and get your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press.
2: Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, this story, to me anyway, is terrifying. We go to China. The CTF Finance Center in Guangzhou, China, has a new elevator that they installed. It is an ultra high speed elevator. It is the fastest elevator in the world. It takes you 47 miles per hour. Whoa. In this elevator. Huh. That's not something I want to get on. I'm just just putting that out there. That is not something I want to get on.
3: Fun fact: our elevator here at the studio is the slowest (laughs) elevator of all time. I was just going to say the
1: exact opposite. I was just going to say I will trade (laughs) that. I I will take that elevator Uh, over this damn slow. boat. That's the only option.
3: The
2: the slow boat to China.
1: We've got for our elevator. That's fair. Our
2: (laughs) our elevator is the slowest in the nation. They say that if you get on this elevator, uh, there's no joke. They give you earplugs because they say you move so fast, your ears, you know, you mm-hmm. know, your ears pop. That's a coming frankie. down,
1: maybe. Yeah, not going up. Yeah, going. Down. Yeah, you're going down.
2: But I, this is not something. This is not something that I want to get on. I'm just putting that out there. Uh, Barack Obama is not president anymore, but he is Sad. He is still good friends with the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Apparently, he was in Montreal yesterday. in a speaking engagement at the Board of Trade of Met- Metropolitan Montreal. He sat down for dinner with Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau tweeted out a photo of the two of them sitting down at a <laughs> restaurant. Deep in conversation, Trudeau tweeted, quote, How do we get young leaders to take action in their communities? Thanks, Barack Obama, for your visit and insights tonight in my hometown. Of course, Montreal being the hometown of Justin Trudeau.
1: By the way, the new prime minister of um, Indi- of Ireland Yeah, uh, is 38. Oh, my God. An Indian, Irish, Indi- he's from his family, Indian sure, family.
2: Sure,
3: sure. And he's gay.
2: <laughs>
3: and he's Muslim. Um, talk about, he talk is- about trades. That's another trade I would make. Yeah, seriously. Yeah,
1: right. The new president of France is 39. Justin Trudeau is what? 39, maybe? He's under 40, yeah. Yeah, right. How do we get stuck with all these old geezers,
2: right? Is it
3: right? <laughs> By the way, did you see that video of Justin Trudeau kayaking up to a family yes! and talking to them on their dock? No, really. Like, how cool is he? He is so cool. He just
2: just comes kind of gliding up to somebody. Is say, that right? Hey, hello. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the Prime Minister of Canada. They talked
1: about climate change. Yeah, yeah. Donald Trump would have been driven up in his golf
2: cart. <laughs>
0: your radio, on TV, and online.
1: This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, hello everybody. What do you say on a Wednesday, June 7? How about it? Here we are, the Bill Press Show. It's a big day today and tomorrow in Washington, D.C. We'll bring you all the news of the day. Good to have you with us. Good to see you on this Wednesday looking at you on youtube youtube.com/ the bill press show yes indeed I'm looking at you on free speech TV as well driving along with you or just hanging out with you all in all over Chicago area on WcPT and don't forget check out on patreon patreon.com that's where you'll find my uh, exclusively find my parting shot every day uh, patreon.com and all the other extra content that we put up there. It is. There is so much breaking news this morning, particularly all around James Comey, Donald Trump, and the Russian front. Uh, and we'll try to keep you up to date with all of it. I can I start with the newest stuff uh, it, uh, that comes out today uh, because bef- the day before James Comey, tomorrow, everybody's been talking about his testimony in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee, which is going to be blockbuster and uh, we want you to know that the uh, Bill Press Show. We have staked out our bar, our in our neighborhood, the Tune In. Yes. Where we'll all be there tomorrow. There, I don't know about where you live, but in Washington D.C., uh, many many bars now have opened that they have announced they're going to be open early. The hearing starts at ten o'clock Eastern Time. Bars are opening nine or nine thirty, so you can get in and get your libation. So when the um, uh, chairman says, "Would you raise your right hand?" Uh, everybody will raise their right hand and have their morning brew. By the way, mine I, will be iced tea, I, but I, I just what? to, whatever it is. You're gonna
3: mine will be Guinness. You're gonna have. Let's be clear. But gonna
1: we're, gonna so we're going to be at the uh, at the Tune In by Washington. If you want to join us tomorrow, with a lot of friends uh, for the big watch party. But
2: let me just say, if I could, it, I, I think it's cute that these bars are opening up at nine. But the Tune In is always open at nine a.m. Uh, <laughs> they yeah, don't need a special event
1: to open up and serve that, alcoholics. That at is true. The Tune In so. is classic, right? <laughs> Uh, so at any rate, the day, but that's all tomorrow. The day before. Today is also a big day, Senate Intelligence Committee, because Daniel Coates, the director of national intelligence, is going to testify. That's the breaking news of the day. Daniel Coates is going to testify, we've learned, it's on the front page of the uh, Washington Post today, that before Donald Trump, this is news, breaking news, before Donald Trump, Asked James Comey to drop the investigation. He pulled Daniel Coates, director of national intelligence, and Mike Pompeo, the director of the CIA, aside, in the Oval Office, just like he did with Comey a few days later, and said after his briefing, Hey, can you guys, the two of you, stay around? I've got something I need to talk to you about. And he asked them to put pressure on James Comey to drop the investigation. Daniel Coates, and remember, we had heard earlier, right, that he asked them to deny publicly that there was any evidence of collusion, which they kind of did. What they said was they had not seen any evidence of, conclusion, uh, of uh, collusion. They couldn't say there wasn't any. But Donald Trump did more than that. He asked them to pressure Comey to drop the FBI. I investigation again, if that's not obstruction of justice, I don't know what is. and of course later uh, Donald Trump pulled James Comey aside and asked him to stay around and then directly ask him to drop the investigation, which Comey refused to do. of course. he then he was so troubled by that he went back and made some notes of that meeting. So he would recollect exactly what the President had asked him to do. that is going to be the subject of his testimony tomorrow. but now there's a second bit of breaking news we just we're just learning that after that conversation with Donald Trump in the Oval Office, that awkward moment when the President asks the FBI director to drop an FBI investigation, James Comey. Went to the attorney general and said, I never want to be alone again with the president of the United States. Damn. <laughs> Can you imagine? Damn. That is killer. Yeah. He said he didn't trust him. Uh, he didn't think it was uh, appropriate for the FBI director to be in a position where he would face that kind of pressure from the president that he should be – he, the FBI director, should be more independent Of the White House and the Oval Office, and again uh, asked uh, Jeff Sessions to support him in making sure that he was never put in that position again. That is so telling about Donald Trump uh, the way he treats people, um, the way, the kind of, the total lack of respect that his top people have for him, that they don't even trust being alone with him. Boy. Uh, again, can't wait for that testimony tomorrow.
2: You know what I think is really telling about this is A, what you just said that Donald Trump is such a snake that James Comey saw this, but also I think we can all agree that James Comey did a pretty terrible job of how he handled the Hillary Clinton email yeah, situation. Yeah, total. And probably should have been fired for it, n- not necessarily by Donald Trump the way that he did it, but I, I think you he should have
1: been, been fired by Barack Obama. Right, last well, July, I but, said that said so many times. Yeah, but
2: all that being said, we can agree that that was sloppy and bad. But that James Comey at least has a respect for the office and understands that in that role, it has to be completely independent. Total, it cannot be influenced and should not be influenced by anybody in the White House. Yeah, and so whatever happened in that first encounter. Was clearly a violation of that. Mm-hmm. And Comey saw that.
1: Yep, absolutely. So then we get to uh, what, until that broke this morning, was the other breaking news, which broke like late yesterday. And that is Jeff. S- you know, here, let me put it this way. This is like a minor miracle, if not a major miracle, friends and neighbors, which is only Donald Trump could make us almost feel sorry for Jeff Sessions. <laughs> Yes, Jeff Sessions was getting so much crap. uh, The New York Times and The Washington Post both reported yesterday getting so much crap, so much heat from Donald Trump that Sessions says, all right, I'll resign. You want me out of here? I'll resign. That was before the president left for Europe. And what it stems from, the two things. First of all, it goes back to March when Jeff Sessions recused himself from having anything to do with the Russian investigation because it was revealed that he had met twice with Russian Ambassador Kislyak and not reported it. And so it looked like, which is true, it looks like he's part of the mix. He's part of the one that maybe ought to be investigated for what they talked about. Was he trying to make a, a deal with the Russians and help them influence our election? And since he would be subject to investigation, He should recuse. He did the right thing, recusing himself. But Donald Trump didn't find out about it until just minutes before Jeff Sessions made the announcement publicly. And he's been pissed off at Jeff Sessions ever since. He doesn't think Jeff Sessions should have done that. He believes, Donald Trump believes, that because of that, that has led to Comey digging down even more, Comey refusing to drop the investigation, having to fire Comey and then ending up now with a special prosecutor in Robert Mueller. He blames it all on Jeff Sessions. And then he turns around, as we know from his tweets, the last couple of days, and blames Jeff Sessions for the fact that he's been unsuccessful in the courts before the Ninth Circuit and the Fourth Circuit with his travel ban. It's been shot down three times. He blames Jeff Sessions for that. And then he also blames Jeff Sessions for the fact that what they appealed to the Supreme Court and which the Supreme Court will hear is not the first Muslim ban, which was shot down, but the what the uh, (laughs) amended or what Donald Trump calls the watered down or the politically correct travel ban. The second one, which has also been shot down by the courts, that's the one they appealed and Donald Trump thinks that Don- Jeff Sessions caved in by doing so. He should have. Re- he should have. He should have um, submitted the very first travel ban. Remember the 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 one with seven countries in it and blocking all Muslims from coming into the United States, but allowing Catholics in from those countries, but not Muslims. Clearly unconstitutional, as is the second one. But at any rate, the point is, Jeff Sessions didn't sign that ex- that second executive order. It was Donald Trump who signed it. It was Donald Trump's executive order that Jeff Sessions was just trying to to carry out. So Trump blaming Sessions for something that he himself did because, of course, Donald Trump never does anything wrong. And with all of that, think about this. The attorney general of the United States, the guy who, if anybody, is really Donald Trump's lapdog. He was the only senator in the primary to endorse Donald Trump. Afterwards, he was one of the only ones. You remember, it was hard for Donald Trump to get anybody who would publicly, any Republican senator who would publicly stand by him. Kelly Ayotte, remember she did, then she didn't, then she didn't. And they kept, right. Right. Uh, and uh, in the end, maybe they voted for him. I'm not even sure Lindsey Graham voted for him or John McCain. But anyway, Jeff Sessions was the, he was the guy. He And he traveled with Donald Trump. He campaigned for Donald Trump throughout the South. He has done nothing as attorney general but try to carry out m- most of Donald Trump's policies on yeah. immigration, yeah, on voting rights. You know, he supports the North Carolina legislature. On criminal justice reform, he's rolling it back. He wants people to be thrown in jail for the longest sentences we can get for the least violent crimes. All of Donald Trump's agenda. But Donald Trump is still so pissed off at the recusal and about the, the travel ban that, he's, that he has lost all confidence he's told people Jeff Sessions. Apparently at the White House he keeps com- complaining about Jeff Sessions, blaming Jeff Sessions, and Jeff <laughs> Sessions now offered to resign. And you know what? I hope he does because then if he does, Donald Trump will have, in effect, fired the Deputy Attorney General, Sally Yates, the Director of the FBI, and then the Attorney General of the United States. I'm telling you, the wheels are coming off this wagon fast.
2: It is so amazing to watch. Yeah. And it's also, like, Donald Trump can't ever... Look, I know a lot of presidents have had the problem where they say, like, oh, I can't think of anything that I've done wrong. I've done everything really great. But Donald Trump can never take responsibility for anything. He won't own up to anything. So if things are going bad in the administration, he's always looking for a scapegoat. And he'll always have a scapegoat. Right. I I yeah. genuinely am amazed that it's Jefferson Sessions. Because, like you said... He's been loyal. He's carried out the Trump administ- or the, the Trump agenda better than anybody else in the administration. So, like, if Trump is mad at him.
3: Peter, I'm sorry. I think you left out a portion of Jeff Sessions' name.
2: Jefferson, Bol- Jefferson Beauregard.
3: Jefferson Thank you. Right. Yeah.
2: As somebody put it out on Twitter last
1: night, all these monuments to the, to the Confederacy continue to fall, including Jeff <laughs> Sessions. Including Jeff Sessions. <laughs> so, by the way, you would think, all right, you're the uh, attorney general, that um, at the White House there would be an immediate statement of support uh, from the – and uh, so many times uh, at the White House I heard Robert Gibbs or Jay Carney or Josh uh, Ernest. When somebody did something a little wrong, right, the first question is, does the president still have confidence in him? And they would dutifully say the president has full confidence in, you know, Susan Rice or Ray LaHood or whoever it happened to be, you know, Eric Holder at the time. Uh, So the question, of course, comes up yesterday in about Jeff Sessions. And here is Sean Spicer's ringing endorsement.
3: I have not had that discussion with him. So you can't say he like has confidence in his attorney general? I said I have not had a discussion with him on the question. <laughs> I don't – if I haven't had a discussion with him about a subject, I tend not to speak about it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he was asked about it by John Carl there of ABC News. He was also asked about it by, by a, um, Major Garrett from CBS News, and both times he said, I haven't had that discussion. I, haven't. I don't mm-hmm. – <laughs> Yeah, right. That's, the, that's your attorney general. Of the United States, that um, things are people are falling so fast. Even the Wall Street Journal yesterday editorially said Attorney General Jeff Sessions would be justified if he resigned. This is just the latest incident in which Mr. Trump popping off undermined his own lawyers. If this pattern continues, this is Wall Street Journal. Mr. Trump may find himself running. An administration with no one but his family and the Breitbart staff. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Jared, Ivanka, Donald Jr., Eric, and Breitbart. But wait a minute. Uh Uh-uh. Not the sons because they're not doing politics anymore, right? No. Oh, that's right. Oh, right. Remember. Yeah. Donald Jr. and Eric, they're not part of the administration. They're just running the business. They don't never talk to their father about the business, and they never talk to their father about politics, and they certainly never talk politics. That's their, They built the firewall, right? Remember that? The big news conference where Donald Trump had them out there, trotted them all out, and said, no, we're building the firewall. The sons are on that side of the wall. We're on this side of the wall. Well, you might get a different opinion about that or feeling about that if you watch Good Morning America uh, yesterday. Um, What about Donald Trump's tweets? Um, The Wall Street Journal has said Donald Trump should stop tweeting, so have many Republican members of Congress. Uh, Here's Donald Jr. yesterday on Good Morning America.
3: Every time he puts something out there, he gets criticized by the media all day, every day, by everyone else. And then guess what? Two weeks later, he's proven to be right. It happened again.
1: What is he talking about? First of all, why is he talking about it, for one? But two... What is he talking about? What (laughs) Trump of Donald tweets, what tweet of Donald Trump's, I'm sorry, has turned out to be true, right?
3: Two weeks later.
1: (laughs) Uh, Wait, that. Name one. Yeah, Barack Obama wiretapped Trump Tower? Hmm. Has that turned out to be true? That's total garbage, BS. Uh, The mayor of London told people they don't have to worry about terror? That's a
2: lie. That was a lie.
1: I can't—seriously, I can't think of one thing that turned out to be true that Donald Trump has tweeted, right? No. 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 All right. So what about— Yeah, I can't think of anything. Seriously. What—he's just—and so, again, here's Donald Jr. now, not uh, (laughs) only—he's not talking about the business at all. Here he is echoing his daddy
3: in attacking the mayor of London. Rather than the mayor of London attacking, maybe he should do something about it. Maybe he should do something to fix the problem rather than just sit there and pretend there isn't one.
1: Wait a minute. It wasn't the mayor of London who attacked oh, boy. Donald Trump. It was Donald Trump who attacked the mayor of London by totally misrepresenting and lying about what the mayor had said. And the mayor, as we showed yesterday several times, the mayor has taken the high road. He has shown a lot of grace, a lot of dignity and refused to stoop so low as to even respond to Donald Trump. But again, it was the not the mayor. It was Donald Trump who attacked the mayor, and everybody knows that if you read the t- t- tweets. So, pardon me, Donnie Jr. is there along with his brother, Eric, who also jumps into uh, the news, the White House news, defending his father over the Russian investigation. Here is
3: Eric. It's the greatest hoax of of all time. I was there throughout the campaign. We have no dealings in Russia. We have no projects in Russia. We have nothing to do with Russia.
1: Well, what about the fact that Michael Flynn was on the phone, the campaign advisor, was on the phone with the Russian ambassador talking about sanctions? What about the fact that Jared Kushner was meeting with the Russian ambassador? And then what about the fact that Jared Kushner at the request of the Russian ambassador, sat down again with Ambassador Kislyak and the big Russian Kremlin banker at Trump Tower to talk about establishing a back channel to Moscow using the communications equipment in the Russian embassy. So there's nothing there at all. No contacts at all, says Eric, with uh, with Russia. Uh and, by the way, the greatest hoax ever. So you've got the House Intelligence Committee. You have the Senate Intelligence <laughs> Committee. You've got the FBI investigation, which still is, is ongoing. Yeah. And then now you've got a special prosecutor on top of all of them. Listen, you don't have four different investigations if there ain't nothing there. right? It's
3: the greatest hoax Of of all time.
1: But again, why are these kids, if I can call them that, why are the sons of Donald Trump out there? And this is on top of the fact, again, the firewall, remember, right? Last month, Donald Trump Jr. and Eric came to Washington, sat down at the RNC headquarters. This was reported to start planning the 2020 re-election campaign. You know, getting Donald Trump was bad enough, but we got the whole damn gang. Yeah, we got got the whole damn gang. And you know what is interesting about that or what's revealing about that? Donald, Ivanka, Jared, Eric Jr. and Eric and Donald Jr. Not one of them has any experience in government. Nope. Not one of them knows the first thing about domestic policy or foreign policy, and they're running the government. Oh. My. God. I mean, it's pretty scary, isn't it?
2: It's terrifying. and I It really mean, is. You know, it, there's something to be said about the fact that Donald Trump got elected by not being a politician, right? Like, I know that that was a big yeah. part of the appeal to people. But, you know, at some point you got to get somebody who knows what they're doing in terms of just keeping the trains running on time. You know, it's just a total disaster of an administration.
1: At least some... We've said this before. George yeah.
2: W. Bush. We spent a lot of time beating the hell out of George W. Bush yeah. when he was president. He was a very bad president and a lot of bad things. George W. Bush hired competent people. You disagreed with them, but competent yeah. people yeah. who knew how to yeah. schedule meetings and knew how to make things happen.
1: They, they, knew, they knew policy. They yeah, knew foreign yeah, yeah. policy. I mean, Condi Rice was a smart person, right? I mean, she was. Colin Powell was a smart person. We don't have to go back to all the policies, the state policies, their policies that we disagreed with, but they were people respected them because they knew what they were. They knew they knew what they were talking about. This gang does not at all. Before we move on, just one final point on the tweets and the, how the tweets getting Trump in trouble, and he insists that this is his way of communicating with the American people. Kellyanne Conway says we ought to just dismiss these tweets and pay attention to what the president is doing. That, again, is not what Sean Spicer said yesterday at the briefing, our briefing yesterday, asked about, so what weight, if any, should we give to Donald Trump's tweets? Now, this is very, very, very important. All this talk about this is just Donald Trump, you know, just, just whatever, blowing off, right? And don't pay any attention to them. They don't. They mean nothing at all. No, this is Sean Spicer, who you know is reflecting... Donald Trump.
3: The president is the president of the United States, so they're considered official statements by the president of the United States.
1: Official statements by the president of the United States. That's what those tweets are. So don't blame the media for taking them seriously. According to Sean Spicer, according to the White House, they are official statements of the president of the United States, therefore we must pay attention to them. You can't Just dismiss them as idle talk. And that's why, final point on this, uh, it's also reported by, uh, I think it was NBC, that remember all the talk they were going to put this whole big uh, war room together with all these attorneys, these high-priced attorneys from Washington who are going to come in and they're going to have this big team uh, helping defend the president? Uh, It ain't going to happen because... Most of the high-priced law firms that they've talked to in Washington have turned them down, and they've turned them down because they know they can't have Donald Trump as a client because he'll he'll undercut them every step of the way. (laughs) Uh, Michael Isikoff, investigative reporter, uh, uh, wherever he is right now. He was with NBC. I'm not sure right now. Anyhow, all over the place. Yahoo. That's right, for Yahoo. Yahoo. I want to give Yahoo credit reported that yesterday. He's talked talk to all these law firms, and they said, uh, no, we don't want to work for that guy. They, they, they came to us. They talked to us. We turned him down. Perfect. Uh, and final note then about James Comey. Yeah, his big testimony is tomorrow. We're learning a little bit about what, what we can expect from James Comey uh, by people familiar with his uh, prepared testimony. Uh, he is going to confirm that Donald Trump did, in fact, ask for a pledge of loyalty from him, ask him to take the loyalty oath, which he refused to do. He is going to confirm that Donald Trump asked him to drop the investigation, uh, which he refused to do. He is going to refute Donald Trump's claim that Comey told Trump he was not under investigation. That is kind of, that's big news. Because remember, in the letter... When he fired James Comey, Trump said, thank you for telling me three times I was not the subject of investigation. Comey is going to tell the committee reportedly tomorrow. Um, I never told him that. That's what he thought I said. I never told him that. That's what he wanted to believe. I never told him that. And finally, Comey himself reportedly is not going to claim or assert that Donald Trump's actions amount to obstruction of justice, he is going to tell the senators, I'll tell you what happened. You decide whether it's obstruction of justice or not. It's sort of the old Fox News motto, right? We report, you decide. But from what we've heard so far, I think it's pretty easy and compelling to, make the, to come to the conclusion, damn right. It is obstruction of justice.
2: You know what else is really interesting about this is that the White House has said that they have no war room ready for this. They yeah. don't have nope. anybody ready nope. to no
1: nope. nope.
2: combat this. They're not. There's nothing in place.
1: No. Nope.
2: But you know that Donald Trump is going to be watching every minute of it. And
1: well, Sean Spicer says he's going to be busy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah We're yeah, going yeah. to okay. keep him. Keep him. Busy.
3: Yeah, he's gonna be busy with those Twitter fingers. <laughs> the president's gonna have a very very busy day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. In yeah, sitting the, on
2: the
1: couch in front of the screen, watching Fox News, bringing the popcorn and the diet coke. That's All it. right, yeah. Uh, big special election yesterday in California. Guess what? Democrats won one. Well, that's because <laughs> there are only two Democrats running uh, in the final. <laughs> Gabe to Benedetti. Comes in from Politico to bring us up to date on the national political scene here next on The Bill Press Show. Good to have
3: you with us. Stay around. I don't, if I haven't had a discussion with him about a subject, I tend not to speak about it.
0: Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com
1: slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, it is The Bill Press Show. We're live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. We're a lot, well, with a lot going on. Uh, Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats testifying today in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And tomorrow, of course, it is a former FBI Director James Comey. We'll bring you all the news of the day. Brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Gerard, The United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Find out more about all the good stuff they're up to, bringing steel jobs back to America, working at that at any rate, uh, at their website, usw.com. Uh, I'm sorry,.org. Yes, indeed. Uh, the political front, um, very, very interesting these days with special elections for Congress and two big governors raises up this year. Gabe Benedetti is a national political reporter for Politico joining us in studio. It's been a while, Gabe. Nice. Welcome back.
4: It's always good to be here. Good to see you. Special election in California. Democrats finally won one. That's right. I was pretty confident that they would win this one. uh, Why? They came through. Because it's California? Well, that's (laughs) part of it. Uh, It was a Democrat versus Democrat election. All right. We can uh, win those. Democrats did it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, we had basically uh, an unsurprising result here. It was the seat... Um, Vacated by Javier Becerra, who became the state's attorney general, and uh, Jimmy Gomez, who's an assemblyman in in Los Angeles, uh, took the seat as expected. He had the endorsements from a bunch of big folks back here in D.C., uh, and, and the endorsement of the uh, L.A. mayor, uh, Eric, Eric Garcetti. Eric that's right. Uh, Nancy Pelosi supported him. So it was a pretty – there was a moment there when it wasn't clear exactly what was going to happen, but not no, no big surprises uh, on that one.
1: Uh, it was interesting. There were two um, Bernie Sanders Democrats in the – first, it was a wide-open primary. That's right. Uh, two Bernie Sanders uh, supporters. In the primary, neither one of them made it to the to the runoff. And so our revolution, Bernie organiz- Sanders' organization, endorsed Gomez. That's right.
4: Uh, yeah. A, a, a
1: state assemblyman. That's
4: right. And, you know, it was one of those primaries that was, as you said, it was totally sprawling and it wasn't really fought down clear ideological lines. Right, right. Uh, So there were a lot of people that sort of claimed to be the – they claimed the Bernie mantle. Uh, but in the primary – or in the uh, general election here, or in the runoff or however you want to think of it, uh, you know, both of them are pretty progressive f- folks who are who were right. running here. This yeah. is this is Los Angeles. It's not we're not dealing with corporate centrist democrats, shall we say.
1: But what what was interesting to me as a Californian uh and spending so many years in Los Angeles uh and knowing it so well is that this pitted East Los Angeles, That's right. Gomez, against Koreatown. Yeah. With the, I forget his name. Uh, the, Robert Ahn. Robert Ahn. Yeah. Yeah. So it was the Korean-Americans and the Latinos. Yeah, that's that, right. Uh, you know.
4: And it was actually pretty fascinating. And in some ways, you know, obviously, as you know, you well know, there there are a lot of statewide races looming in California. And breakdowns like that are going to play extremely important uh, roles in those races, whether it's the governor's race or... Or other ones that are statewide. And so I think a lot of folks were sort of looking at this race, obviously not to draw too many wide statewide conclusions, but they're trying to see how these various uh, you know pieces of the uh, California demographic puzzle are fitting together electorally right now. And, Another big
1: primary yesterday in New Jersey. How did that shake down?
4: Uh, in about the least surprising way possible. Phil Murphy, who uh, <laughs> was a f- former Goldman Sachs banker for a long time, DNC finance chair, uh, ambassador to Germany under Obama. He won the Democratic nomination for the gubernatorial seat uh, to replace Chris Christie. He was expected to win by about 30 points. He won by about 30 points. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the night ended quickly. And then on the Republican side, Christie's Lieutenant Governor Kim Guardano won. And uh, both of those were pretty expected. And New Jersey will uh, putter along. And, you know, Murphy's the heavy favorite here.
1: So Chris Christie's approval rating is what around seven or eight or something. Yeah,
4: negative seven or negative eight. I mean yeah. they, they really okay. can't stand him right now. Right.
1: Yeah. So Republicans um decided the best thing they can do is take Chris Christie's <laughs> lieutenant governor and make her the candidate. Yeah. Uh I think a three-year-old could write the attack ad or the opposition ad to her.
4: Well, it's pretty interesting, I mean, actually. just tie her to Chris, run against Chris Christie, right? Absolutely. And she's having a hard time really distancing herself from him. She's trying to do that. Of course. But, but yeah. she's the lieutenant governor. <laughs> now, what's interesting yeah. is that Democrats, both on the national side and in New Jersey, they're having actually a somewhat hard time. They can't figure out whether it's more effective to tie her to Trump or to Christie. <laughs> because Trump is more popular in New Jersey than Chris Christie is. <laughs> So they're. You know what? I believe have, that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's not. Uh, Trump is at like thirty percent, and Christie's at like twenty percent. So neither of them is exactly yeah. Mister Popular. But if you are, if you're Phil Murphy's team, you basically have an embarrassment of riches. So he's expected to win quite easily, unless things p- change pretty dramatically on a nationwide sca- uh, you know scale.
1: Later this month, I think. It's this month, right? In New in Virginia, it's next
4: week. Yes, next week. Yeah. Right. Okay. By, the way, by the
2: way, the only way the Democrats could screw that up in New Jersey is if they is if they nominated someone who has ties to you know Goldman
4: Sachs. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's you know God. I've heard from over and over from folks in the national. National D.C. folks, you know, who are looking at this stuff. And basically what they're saying over and over is like, listen, Phil Murphy is actually not a not progressive guy. He ran a pretty progressive campaign. He had endorsements from a lot of pretty important progressive national and local groups. Bernie Sanders' son went to go campaign for him. Uh, You know, the Communication Workers of America supported him. The Working Families Party supported him X, Y, and Z, right? But the reality is that the first person who's going to win a major seat back for Democrats, most likely in the resistance era, is this guy who worked for Goldman for 25 years. And so, you know, say what you will about how progressive he is, but that is the reality. Yeah. They run the world. They do. Look at how many are in the Trump
1: administration,
4: right? That's right. After all the crap that they took. the It seems like a natural
1: stepping stone into
2: politics. Work for Goldman Sachs. Right. Go into politics. Right. Right. Jesus.
4: Uh, Yeah. Or, pay Hillary a lot of money for speeches. (laughs) (laughs) Right. uh, Virginia. Yes. So Virginia's got its primary next week, uh, pitting Ralph Northam, the lieutenant governor there, uh, against former Congressman Tom Perriello. Perriello's tried to position himself as sort of the progressive in the race, but obviously, you know, it, it's not really a fair breakdown to call one person establishment and one person progressive. They're both pretty progressive and they both actually have broken quite strongly with democratic orthodoxy in the past on specific issues. Um, but Periello is really trying to nationalize this race. He's gotten Bernie Sanders's endorsement. Elizabeth Warren's endorsement, his ads all have Barack Obama in them. So he's trying to position himself as the the candidate of the future, whereas Northam is sort of the the candidate of the past. And the reality is that Ralph Northam has been a moderate in some things. And, you know, he did vote for George Bush twice. Now, he's a good progressive Democrat in, in Richmond now, right. uh, but he has the same problem that Murphy does in New Jersey, which is that there is a world in which Democrats' two uh, statewide marquee nominees Uh, You know, in the as we said, in the beginning of the resistance era are a guy who voted for George Bush twice and a former Goldman Sachs executive. Again, they're both progressives. They're both they both have pretty good records, but their resumes do have this line in them.
1: So there are two. um, Washington's a great place to live (laughs) as a city, but there are two big downsides. One is, of course, that we get no representation for our taxes, the taxes that we pay taxation without representation. Um, I thought we fought a revolution about that at one point. But anyway, any rate, uh, the other downside is that being across the river from Virginia, we have to watch all the damn ads, oh, yeah. the campaign ads mm-hmm. for races in Virginia. Oh, yeah. I just saw the – I can't yeah, – I just I'm saw sure. Perriello one while you were talking. <laughs> yep. I can't tell you how many Perriello and Tom Nor- and Ralph Northam ads that I have seen. Interesting about the – you're right. Per- Perriello's, ad- Perriello's ads where I talked about Bernie and yes. what a big progressive he is. And Northam's ads talk about
4: Donald Trump. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, they're clearly trying to go two different routes here. I think yeah. Northam is a small favorite. I, it, it wouldn't be surprising if Perriello won, however. You know, but in terms of the ads and in terms of the just crazy inundation of attention to this race, that's not going anywhere because on the Republican side, Ed Gillespie is likely to win. He is Mr. Republican Establishment uh, and – total. Total. Yeah. I mean, he has yeah. been the he face of the Republican establishment for a long time. A long time. Ran. Ran. Yeah. ran against Mark Warner a few years ago, almost won there in a pretty big yeah. surprise. Yeah. And used to run the RNC. He was the person who actually drove and designed the Republican Party's uh, red map. Uh, Plan a few years back to uh, basically gerrymander all of these seats all over the country, so nationwide. So he has really been at the center of it all. He's going to have as much money as he wants, and Democrats' whole pitch will be to try and tie him as closely to Trump as possible because Trump is not popular in Virginia. So get ready to see a lot of ads about Donald Trump.
1: Mm -hmm. So uh, Georgia is coming up, uh, the special election uh, in Georgia uh, with uh, Karen Handel and John Ossoff. Last night, they met in debate um, a little surprise, because I know you were tweeting about this last night, when the subject of a minimum wage or livable wage came up, uh, Karen Handel says, not me.
5: This is an example of the fundamental difference between a liberal and a conservative. I do not support a livable wage. What I support is making sure that we have an economy that is, is robust with low taxes and less regulation.
1: Well, at least she didn't say she supports slavery, um,
4: but (laughs) Uh
1: a surprising position, particularly given that district.
4: That's right. I think – most people's read on this in the moment was that that was a little bit of a slip. She didn't actually intend to say, "I don't support you know a wage that people can live on, uh, <laughs> livable wage." However, you know this does. Yeah, but you know that's, that's like
1: Jerry Ford's little slip about Poland. If you're in a debate like that, you say something.
4: Totally, totally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, th- but this is actually a reflection of the broader debate that's happening in this in this race because we're not actually seeing a debate that's just down. Uh, r versus d lines as we would traditionally see them in dc it's actually a pretty conservative district so you're not seeing ossoff you know out there rallying for 15 dollars minimum wage on the streets every day and you know he's sort of made sure that bernie sanders doesn't come and campaign for him really no one's coming to campaign for him but this was a good example of how no one really thinks that either of these candidates is outrageously impressive and karen handel keeps slipping up like this keeps trying to uh you know Get, keeps trying to pull herself out of these tough situations, and that's why this has turned into such a tight race. And uh, you know, one of the great, one a good tweet that I saw last night was basically, you know, one of my takeaways from this debate is that uh, you know John Ossoff would probably lose to Karen Handel in the Republican primary. <laughs> in the Republican, yeah, because but. they're trying to you know oh. appeal so much to these <laughs> moderate independent voters.
1: Well, um, the word was uh, that you know Ossoff's best chance of best chance of winning. Was in the primary. That's right. Uh, which he did not win out or came close to not win out, right? But that would be uphill from then on. Do you still feel that way?
4: I think people are actually pretty confident about the way that this has gone in the end because Handel has not proven herself to be an outrageously effective campaigner, but also because there's just so much attention and money and energy f- throwing into this race on both sides that has really made it such that it's very difficult to to read into this as a usual a congressional race. And no one really knows what so the it turnout is. could go numbers. either way, do you think? I think people think of it basically as a toss-up right now. And I was talking to some folks who were working on that race recently. And basically what they said was it's great uh, – on the Ossoff side, they basically said it's great that there's so much turnout – but we can't have a hundred percent turnout because a hundred percent of this of this district means that you know it's a fifty-five percent Republican district. Right. So they're trying to figure out the right way to strike that balance.
1: That's 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 why they do the targeting, right? Precisely. Right. Uh, or so-called analytics. Right. <laughs> Is the Democratic Party still? pouring money into
4: that race? It's sort of amazing how much money is going into that race, especially because at this point it's not clear what the extra money is doing. It sort of seems like it's an arms race and both sides. are just trying to make sure that they don't get outgunned. It's already the most expensive congressional race of all time. How much? Are we t- what are we talking? In the $30 million plus. F- oh. I was, I, was uh, uh. I was looking at the FEC website yesterday to look at the latest filings, and in the span of two hours I counted $1.3 million in new disclosures from the Republicans. And Democratic parties. So, you know, it's just so much money for such a small district that it's really hard to tell what's going to happen because we've never seen anything like this before.
1: It makes you wonder if you get to a point where the money doesn't make any difference anymore because they bought every ad they could, every, you know, print a- ad, every radio ad, every TV ad, and they've got every. Well, and Flyer and you know every direct piece of mail, piece of direct mail you could expect you know totally and yeah.
4: there are all these great studies during presidential campaign season about how you know when you are in living in Ohio or something like that you know you there you hit a saturation point pretty early that's a year and a half long period a presidential campaign this right. is in a tiny district just for five months so you can imagine that this they hit the saturation point long ago
1: right. Um, you uh, wrote recently in a headline, at least a headline on Politico: <laughs> meet the new Democrats.
4: Yeah. Who are they? Well, you know that was referring to these people who are now supposed to be the face of the uh, the opposition, who are going to be the the the, the resistance, the resistance. Uh, but then you have this reality that it's going to be someone like Northam uh, and like Murphy in New Jersey. You know, so there is this big question about what the face of the Democratic Party is going to be, whether it's the grassroots fury in the streets or these sort of establishment types who are going to uh, get to be out. So
1: there. I'll ask you the question that I get asked all the time: Yeah, who's the leader of the Democratic Party today?
4: Uh, that's my favorite gotcha pr- question, and I think that it's uh, – on the Hill, it's the least favorite question of all. I don't think there is one, but I would argue that I don't think there has to be one for the party to succeed. Uh, you know, if you look back at 2006 or other years – Have you and I
1: talked about this before?
4: Oh, we've, we've mentioned it before.
1: But we, we didn't talk just before this program about we this. We did not did we? talk
4: about this in the last Because
1: that's minutes. exactly the answer that I give. <laughs> okay, good. Well, and I'm I, glad we're on the same way. No, wave. and I gave that on C-SPAN on, on Sunday, and then somebody called in and – Called me a racist because I didn't mention Barack Obama. And I said, I'm sorry, he's not. You, you ask Barack Obama, he will tell you he is not. He doesn't want to be known as a leader of the Democratic Party today. You know? No,
4: no, and you know it's sort of a joke among I know, among fellow reporters that, or at least those of us covering the Democratic side, that if you really want, if you're really desperate for a story but can't come mm-hmm. up with an angle, you just go to the hill and mm-hmm. ask as many people as possible who's the leader of the Democratic <laughs> Party, because there's not one answer. Uh, but you know, 2006, they didn't have one leader, and that that worked out just well for them.
1: I think it is great that there's not one leader today, because there. I, uh, on the other hand, um, as a former Democratic Party chair. <laughs> I've never seen so much enthusiasm and energy. I mean, maybe since the '60s, among grassroots and among the people, and all these, all this stuff that's bubbling up. You know, starting with the women's march and climate march and the right. science march and the town halls and all of these organizations, indivisible and our revolution and. Totally. You know, um, town Hall Project, yep. right? Um, running, Run for Something, Emily's List, ACOU. They all have more people, more money, more money, more members than ever before. Right. It's great. And so, you know, out of that a leader or a few leaders will emerge. Right.
4: I mean, at some point there will be another presidential election and someone will try to position themselves as the face of the Democratic Party. But I think what you're seeing right now in D.C. at least is people in Senate and in House leadership, but also in the DNC, they know that they can't try and be the face of the Democratic Party. So that's why you're not seeing, you know, Tom Perez goes on TV, but he's not trying to say this is Tom Perez's party now because he knows that if he tried to do that, this whole thing would fall apart. Now, at some point there will be presidential race, and someone will have to try and be the face of all this. But I think we're far enough off that we don't even know what the shape of the energy is going to look like at that point.
1: No, I think uh, Tom was in here uh, last week. I think he's doing what he's got to do, which is trying, is focusing on rebuilding the party, supporting progressive candidates wherever they happen to be. Right. right. But getting the party back on track because it's got, it, 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 as we know, yes, uh, yes, it, it, it fell. The DNC fell down for many for for many reasons. How of these the future democratic leaders are looking ahead? What role
4: will women play? A big one, uh, a bigger than ever one, actually. So what you know? I wrote a story recently that was looking at how obviously it's very early to look at the twenty twenty field in any real way, but people are thinking about this in somewhat serious ways, mapping out their plans. I know.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, which dismays me. But uh, uh,
4: but it's not surprising at this no, point, no. Uh, especially because among the Democratic side, at least the question is, why not me? After Donald Trump won, you know, anyone can do it. Um, Literally. Sure. Yeah. At least that's the thought. Yeah. Uh, so there but, but right now there are f- at least four women who are very being taken very seriously as Potential contenders for the for the presidency, and that's not something that so we've it starts ever with Beyonce. Before. That's right. It's uh, Beyonce, Rosie O'Donnell, right, Ivanka Trump. Right, right. right. Uh, Trump, and, right. Yeah, right. Uh, no, so so uh, it's four senators: uh, yeah, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, and Amy Klobuchar. So it's unclear the degree. You know, it's unlikely that all four of them will actually run who knows if any of them will actually run, but they're all clearly in the conversation. Klobuchar was just in Iowa the other day. Uh, you know, Warren has always had this speculation around her, but basically the interesting thing about this story, I think was that, uh, There's no game plan for these people. This is never we've they've never seen this before. The Democratic Party has nominated a woman, as we all know well, but there's never been multiple ones in a primary. We've never had the we've never had women be the driving force of the party in a presidential primary or leading up to it. And so, you know, the party's trying to figure out what the politics of that are going to look like, because as this last election demonstrated to them, there is still a large portion, maybe not an enormous one, but a significant one of the country that just won't vote for a woman. Yeah.
2: yeah, no. That, that actually has been the most eye-opening thing for me watching this last election is just how easy it is to say horrible things about women and get away with it. Yeah, like on a national level, right? Like, I think it's amazing that the big we talk about the leader of the Democratic Party, the the boogeyman or the boogeyperson person uh, for Republicans, Nancy Pelosi. Who, like, Mm. uh, there's no threat of, uh, so so Nancy Pelosi and Elizabeth Warren. That's right. That's who they're using. That's right. That is who Republicans, when they talk about the Democratic Party, they paint it as the party of Pelosi and the party of Elizabeth Warren.
4: Yes. Because Uh, part of it is because you can say horrible things about those women. That's exactly right. And I think a big part of this, as was pointed out in the story, is, you know, with Clinton and with Pelosi to the, to, to a similar degree, you know, they have a, the Repu- Republicans in particular have a 10, 20, 30 year history of beating up on these people. Sure. So they have these all this baggage coming into it. And what the hope would be for this new generation of women coming in and and Warren, who's not necessarily part of this new generation, but has not been in the national spotlight as long would basically be they don't have the same kind of baggage going into it.
1: But we'll see. Uh, I want to interrupt uh, this conversation just with a little bit of breaking news. My latest tweet from Donald Trump. I will be nominating Christopher A. Ray, a man of impeccable credentials, to be the new director of the FBI. Uh, I know nothing about Christopher Ray, but that is just out from Donald Trump. Uh, an official. Uh, what Sean Spicer calls an official statement of the president of the United States. This is how we get our news today from... Um, Donald Trump's – following Donald Trump's tweets.
3: So, Cr- By the way, Jim Acosta reporting Christopher Wray represented Chris Christie in the Bridgegate scandal.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> it all comes full
4: circle.
2: Oh,
1: yeah. boy. Uh, London Bridge is falling down. Right. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's find out a little bit more about Christopher Wray. Yeah. We'll get more on that at the top of the hour. Uh, but I want to come back to our uh, – <laughs> The big news is they found somebody who would take the job, <laughs>
4: which wasn't easy. That's right. It took some. It took some time there.
1: Yeah, they went through about ten candidates before they found somebody. Said, "All right, I'll take it. I have nothing to lose." <laughs> um, of the four potential women candidates for twenty twenty, um, why isn't Hillary Clinton on the list?
4: Uh, I wouldn't say she's not on the list. Exactly. Uh, it's my point. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I do not think that she will run for president again. Having conversations with people around her,
1: she's formed another pack. Come on. Correct. You so she's, in politics, you don't form a peck.
4: She's very clearly saying- Unless you've
1: got some maybe, 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 the next time, third time will be the charm. That's
4: right. So let's be clear. She has said, I'm not running for president again. Uh, she has not sort of like given it all up in, a, in an extremely public way. Everyone says they're not running. I think people that I've talked to who are around her after covering her campaign basically say uh, th- this is not something that she will do. But- you're right. She hasn't given a big speech and said, you know, it's time for a new generation to take over. Thank you. I'll mm-hmm. fade off into the wilderness. And people in her world say, you know, it's not really fair to assume that she she would just disappear at this point. Uh, I know. Yeah, I hear that from
1: from the Hillary people.
4: Yeah, right. right. And basically their argument is like, why shouldn't she, after being the first woman nominated X, Y and Z, have this new pact to support all these new groups, it seems like something that she could be doing. But, yes, she could be part of this conversation in a year. She has not totally
1: uh, slammed the door. Uh, Neither has Joe Biden, as we know. Uh, He's actively talked about it. And neither has Bernie Sanders.
4: That's right. Uh, This is going to be like a 50-person pre-primary field uh, with a few big celebrities. Is
1: it beyond questioned in your mind that there might be a Republican challenger to Donald Trump, assuming he lasts until 2020 and is running for re-election,
4: I would be surprised if there weren't some kind of Republican challenger. I don't know if it's going to be a particularly serious one. There's been a ton of speculation about John Kasich uh, because he's been going around doing his book tour, showing up in New Hampshire, uh, basically being a big critic. But it seems quite likely that someone will at least try to position themselves in that place. What's unclear is whether they'll have any real uh, traction or whether it will just be someone trying to get some attention for themselves before they run for I mean
1: the else. last time there's a serious challenger to an incumbent president was probably Jimmy Carter in 1980 right with yeah. Ted Kennedy and Jerry Brown but um I I agree with you I mean it seems to me that there's somebody in the report by that time at any rate who will just say yeah for the sake of the party got to put Get out there.
4: 2020 is already crazy, but it's just going to get more insane. All right. Hey, Dave,
1: we covered a lot of ground. So good to be here. Good woman. Thanks so much. Politico.com. Dave Benedetti, And we'll be back with Justin Sink from Bloomberg Politics. This is the Bill Press Show. He finally found somebody who would take the job. Donald Trump announcing or tweeting Christopher Wray. He's going to be nominated as the next director of the FBI. With a little bit of breaking news, hello everybody. Wednesday, June 7, uh, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, which is a hotbed of news and activity these days with... uh, the Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coats, testifying in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee today. Donald Trump going off to Cincinnati today to try to get the attention away from the Russian investigation. But everybody's anticipating tomorrow's testimony in front of the Senate and, Senate Intelligence Committee of former FBI Director James Comey. Uh, and again, Donald Trump also may be trying to change the subject by uh, n- announcing his choice for the next FBI director today as well. We'll bring you up to date on all of, of the latest with the help most of this news coming out of the White House. So we're very blessed to have with us Justin Sink, who covers the White House for Bloomberg Politics. Good timing, Justin. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. A uh, lot a lot of ground a lot of ground to cover and we want to hear from you about it. What do you think about it all, so send us your comments on Twitter. Remember, Donald Trump is not the only one who's allowed to tweet. You can still tweet. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. And we'll get right to all of that with Justin Sink. But first... This
0: is the Full Court Press. Yes,
1: indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. On
2: June 10th, a little bit later on this week, the Navy will commission a brand-new warship. It's the 418-foot... Gabrielle Giffords in Galveston, Texas. They are naming a warship after Gabby Giffords, really? who, of course, was shot yeah. by a gunman yeah. in 2011. Uh, she is great. still doing a lot of good work in terms of yeah. gun control and gun yeah. safety, uh, but they are naming a warship. It's going to set sail, like I said, on June 10th for active duty. Hillary Clinton will be in attendance along with Joe Biden. They'll be there for oh, the that's uh, great. big commemoration, so congratulations. That's a cool honor, I That's guess. That's a great honor, yeah. And her ship named yeah. after you? Her yeah. husband, the astronaut?
1: Yeah. Mark no, Kelly? Her, no. But yeah, it's His brother's the astronaut. No, or is he? No, no, no. He's no the he's the they are yeah, both astronauts. Yeah. Yeah. They're so, both. That's right.
6: And remember, one of the, I think not Mark, but Scott, was up in outer space for a full year. Yeah. And then Mark yeah. stayed back uh, on Earth, and they kind of were able to measure the difference. That was all the whole thing. Kids. Yeah, so to see was, how They're right. twins. It was really yeah.
1: interesting.
2: That's a cool story. Uh the NBA Finals. Bill, you watch the NBA Finals?
1: Uh no, I but you know, kind of my I'm my heart's with the Warriors, of course, Okay. California. Well Baltimore. game
2: game three is Wednesday night. Uh and the good news is for ABC, the ratings are way 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 up. It's the, the Warriors, best.
1: The Warriors have been crushing.
2: Warriors <laughs> haven't lost a game in the finals or yeah. in, the, in the playoffs at yeah. all. Yeah. Uh, ABC is seeing the best ratings for NBA basketballs in since 1998. That's when the Chicago Bulls won the championship. Whoa. Now the thing is, they're hoping they could keep this going because Cleveland has got to win.
5: Yeah. A game at yeah. some
2: point, a competitive series, right. means more people watch. They have a chance to do that tonight. Uh, but the first two games averaged 19.2 million viewers.
3: Wow. Hot take, uh, hockey, the Stanley Cup Finals has actually been more exciting to watch this year. That's, I'm sure the viewership is, is, is much lower, but sure. the, the Nashville Predators are America's team. Yeah, they no, are. I
2: think that's I think that's absolutely right. So, so fun to watch. I I haven't huh. watched any hockey yeah. at all, but both of the games have been blowouts in the NBA Finals.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Okay. By the way, you mentioned twins a little earlier. Yeah, are you going to tell us about the Clooney twins?
2: Oh, I can tell you about the Clooney twins. Sure. Yeah, uh, Amal Clooney, the wife of George Clooney, also a very yeah. accomplished uh, lawyer. Uh, they gave birth. They gave birth to twins. Uh, so congratulations Actually, she gave to birth them. To both of them. She gave birth to <laughs> both of them. Ella and Alexander Clooney. They put out a statement uh, saying that uh, both are quote happy, healthy, doing fine. George is sedated
1: and should recover in a few days. He is
2: 56, she is 39.
1: Yeah, about that. No. First kids good, for both of them. Good for them. Yeah, no, very very exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is, so. All right, take a quick break back with uh, Justin Sink from Bloomberg and everything that's going on down at the White House.
0: Your radio, on TV, and online.
1: This is the Bill Press Show. What do you say, folks? On a Wednesday, June 7, Hello, 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 the Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us uh, wherever you happen to be, coast to coast on this great in this great land of ours. We are there with you. Coming to you live from our nation's capital, our studio on Capitol Hill, joining you on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash the Bill Press Show. Joining you out in the Chicago area on WCPT, uh, all over Chicago, and on Free Speech TV, coast to coast as well, in studio with us, Justin Sink from Bloomberg Politics, covering the White House. Justin, first of all, thank you for coming in, and happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank
6: Officially old now. so I know. It was a, it was a big one yesterday, huh? Yeah, it was 30. So, uh, oh. I know. It's, oh, it's all downhill from there. Give me a break. There, Come I on. It's, it's not right. so yeah. bad.
2: <laughs> I had a complete meltdown because I realized <laughs> I'm going to be 40 at the end of Trump's first term, and I like I couldn't deal.
6: Yeah. It's, uh, You'll be all right. It's, it's creeping up on us all yeah. I went yeah. to a, I went to a concert over the weekend, and it was the first concert that I'd been at where I was like... The oldest person there. Definitely, that's a real like, feeling, man. Yeah, um,
1: it was, yeah, it was, it was, harsh. Yeah, Don't tell me about it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, you know, don't trust anybody over thirty. I remember I used to think that at one time, but <laughs> uh,
6: life changes, indeed. All right. What do we know about Christopher Ray? Uh, well, he's an interesting uh, choice. We obviously heard, um, I think, a week or so ago, uh, Sean Spicer, the press secretary, said he was among the people coming in after yep. the, the sort of Joe Lieberman pick had, had fallen apart. he's somebody who has worked at the Justice Department before uh, <laughs> under George W. Bush. Uh, he led the criminal division there. So uh, I think he's best known in the Justice Department for sort of leading the Enron task force during that big prosecution. Mm. But um, as part of the criminal division, he also, I think, in the post-9-11 era, did a lot of counterterrorism stuff. And so he, he does have some... Um, real uh a real record at the justice department and, and i think that will probably be looked on favorably by lawmakers i know you mentioned before though um obviously in private practice he's worked for a big law firm uh doing government and, and criminal investigation matters and that led him to represent chris christie in the bridgegate scandal a, a couple of years ago i'm sure that will be fodder for uh right. critics and democrats uh, especially but um you know, this is this is not somebody who I think is going to have uh, some of the problems that a diehard Donald Trump loyalist would have if, if that had been the pick for the next FBI director. Right. He's got sort of an independent reputation that might- This is somebody that right. you would expect uh, kind of any Republican president to name to this position. To consider. But the big news out
1: of the Justice Department today is that uh, reportedly um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions- Actually, uh, Donald Trump was so um, angry with him over uh, his decision to recuse himself from the Russian investigation uh, and his handling of the travel ban that um, that Sessions says, OK, if you're not happy with me, I'll quit. Yeah. Offered to resign before Donald Trump left for his big foreign trip.
6: Yeah. So there's a couple, I think, interesting layers to this. One is um, – you know, yesterday in the White House press briefing, Sean Spicer, before this news came out, was asked if the president continued to have confidence in Jeff Sessions. Hold,
1: hold it right there. And sure. let, let's listen to that because it's it's telling. This is – you and I have been there many times in the Obama years when somebody might have done something wrong. We'd always ask Josh Ernest or yeah. Jay or, or, or Robert Gibbs, does the president still have confidence? And dutifully they would say – Yes, the president has full confidence, even if it wasn't right. true, right? Yes. Here's Sean Spicer's answer.
3: I have not had that discussion with him. So you can't say he has confidence in his attorney general? I said I have not had a discussion with him on the question. I don't – if I haven't had a discussion with him about a subject, I tend not to speak about it.
6: Full vote of confidence there, right? Yes. Yeah, and what's – well, I, okay, so – we have to put this in the broader context, which is that Sean Spicer has come out to that podium many times and made statements that a press secretary would normally make only to have Donald Trump get on Twitter hours later and, and, and undercut him and contradict him. And right. so it, this could all be evidence that there is real sort of concern within the White House about Jeff Sessions and his ability to do the job or frustration with the president and and or that the president has for Jeff Sessions, or it's really an indication of how deep uh, some of the issues in the communication shop are and how Sean, who has briefed, you know, under 30 minutes, maybe three times since they got back from that foreign trip, really is nervous about going out there and speaking on behalf of the president. And that is really telling in, you know, month four or five of uh, of a White House yeah. that the press secretary doesn't feel comfortable about going out and his, speaking on behalf job. of the president. And so, uh, you know, whichever way you read it, it, I think the reporting now indicates that there was some real um, tension between them. And I think that this- Between Trump and between, Sessions. Between Trump and Sessions. And I think what this was an indication of is that four Trump staffers- or for some Trump staffers, there are going to be these points where you have to tell the president either, you know, you're going to have to deal with this or I'm not going to be able to work here anymore. And this is one of the first big ones that we've seen. But you would suspect that these conversations have happened previously. And, you know, as we were, we woke up this morning to stories about aides wanting him to curtail his Twitter use, they're concerned that it's, you know, we heard from Mark Short, the director of legislative affairs, that you know, these investigations are are hampering some of their ability to to get things done on Capitol Hill. You know, as all these things keep developing and staff gets frustrated, I think we're going to start hearing about more and more conversations where they tell the president, listen, the way that you conducted yourself on the campaign trail was successful. That's why we're in the White House. We appreciate that and understand that. But for me to continue here going to have to go a different way, and and I think Jeff Sessions was maybe the first of many of those conversations. Uh,
1: and he re- a related story to this is uh, front page of the New York Times today that uh, Director Comey, after Donald Trump pulled him aside and asked him to drop the investigation, which Comey refused to do, went back and and, and wrote his memo to himself right. just to, so he would have I've good notes, notes, the, notes about yeah. that conversation, uh, that he went to the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, and said, I don't want to be alone anymore with the President of the United States. I mean, yeah, that's,
6: it, a, that's a pretty stunning statement, right? Yeah, and it's an indication of how I, I think people who have been in Washington for a long time and see these norms not just as uh, a protection of you know the, the quote-unquote swamp or a protection of a bureaucracy that doesn't serve people well, but in, in fact, um, sort of something that has developed over time in a way to ensure equal protection under the law or equal access for people or, you know, all these sort of ideals, uh, they're going to have to start kind of setting up these limits for themselves because the president has proven that he is not somebody who sees unofficial norms as something that he wants to abide by.
1: So if, 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 if Trump, I mean, if, do you think Sessions just rides this out? I mean, what is your, we're well, I all think, uh, well, I mean, on what if you're Jeff do, Sessions,
6: but. yeah, I mean, Jeff Sessions has been given a unique opportunity. I mean, he was a backbench senator from yeah, Alabama yeah. who was kind of a, I, I don't want to say a joke on Capitol Hill, but somebody who, you know, people kind of eye rolled at He, he was, was not a major player, for he sure. He was not a major player, and, and his one pet issue was immigration and really, um, would drive, especially his moderate colleagues on both sides of the aisle, but it, yeah. particularly among Republicans, a little bit crazy because he, you mm-hmm. know, kind of single-handedly killed the, the Gang of Six immigration package and and would find instances and, and ways to bring immigration into pretty much any piece of legislation that was that was going across the hill. So he's in a very unique situation and probably better off than he could have ever imagined in that... He can really direct immigration policy in a, in a deep and profound way. So, from so the he's unlikely
1: department. to quit is what you're saying. Well, I, I,
6: I'm sure that his offer to resign was sincere, and that he, you know, he ha- at a certain point you have to say, if this isn't working, I, I can't do this. But I don't think Jeff Sessions wants to leave the administration. I think right. He I, I,
2: I think if Jeff Sessions was serious about resigning, he would have resigned. Right. You know what I mean. But you're right. I mean, this is an interesting thing about the Trump administration is it's put him in such a position now that he would have never been in. And it, yeah. it, I think it sheds some light as to who exactly will work for Donald Trump, because it is a really weird place to work.
6: I think <laughs> well, I think this is true up and down the White House, right? You've got yeah. people who never yeah. expected to be there, who are there, <clears throat> and who see this as a unique and singular chance to sort of advance an agenda that was not in the mainstream of Washington. The, the issue, of course, is that these people are loyal largely to their agenda and, and not to Donald Trump. And so that is the tension that, that the president is facing. It
1: also, to me, raises the question about how do we know about this? Who leaked the fact that Sessions offered to resign? It seems to me that that leak must have come out of the White House, not the—I don't know, maybe. It's, it's all speculation. But it could have come out of the White House. It seems to me, to kind of m- make make Sessions nervous, if not maybe force him over the cliff, or easily, uh, or tell the world that the president doesn't really have confidence in, undermining and undercutting anything that Jeff that Sessions does. Um, or it could have come out of the Justice Department, saying we just want the White House to know that, uh, you know, we're going to we're, we're, we're
6: out of here if you. Don't treat us better. Who knows? I think the patient zero certainly was the story in the Times, uh, not today, but but yesterday, about the sort of frustration between the two. And and once the ball got rolling on that, we started hearing a a lot more about that.
1: So um, we're hearing so much, um, we found, about the director of the FBI today – uh, from a tweet, and then we had all the tweets in response to the London terrorist attack, including the attacks on the mayor of, by Donald Trump on the mayor of uh, of London. Um, should we pay any attention to these tweets at all is a question. Kellyanne Conway says don't pay any attention to them because, you know, that, that they don't really count it's what the president does that counts. Sean Spicer, as you know, was
3: asked about that yesterday. Uh, what are these tweets all about? Here he is. The president is the president of the United States, so they're considered official statements by the president of the United States. What does uh, that mean?
6: <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I think Sean is acknowledging reality, which is that, um, you know, as much as uh, some in the Trump White House might like us all to pretend that the tweets don't really exist, that there are real world consequences and ramifications for it. You mentioned the tweets against uh, the mayor of London. You know, that has become a huge campaign issue uh, and the British electorate heads to the polls tomorrow. I And mean, yeah. Theresa May uh, has been running, you know, a campaign that has put her into some trouble, and was forced at some point to come out and um, criticize uh, President Trump, which is something that she didn't want to do, and is sort of a a breach following another breach of the, the traditional uh, <laughs> right uh, uh, sort of special relationship between the the UK and the US, but you know these tweets have consequences the tweets about cutter you know a a day or two ago have real you know people in the middle east are watching those tweets they have emboldened saudi arabia um you know we can dive into that entire thing but saudi arabia gave cutter a list of 10 demands to follow within 24 hours that are extreme and You have to think that the Saudis were emboldened to some extent because Donald Donald Trump Trump publicly took their
1: side. And now, as an aside, we learn that that entire issue may have been the result of a Russian hacker. Exactly. CNN had a report last night. Who put some phony news out there that Saudi Arabia gobbled up and then the other nations followed Saudi Arabia. But, But back to the tweets, didn't Donald Trump just yesterday, I believe, tweeted out, Everybody wants me not to tweet or something, but I'm going to continue to tweet because this is how I communicate with the American people, or right. defying his staff and well, and all these members of Congress who are telling him, put the phone down.
6: Yeah, um, and he seemed to... This is his
2: exact tweet, just, yeah, just right. what talking about. The fake MSM, all caps, is working so hard trying to get me not to use social media, they hate yeah. that I could get the honest and unfiltered message out.
6: Well, and he, so, I mean, what's kind of interesting about that is he seems to blame the media there. And, you know, that I'm sure there's a political motivation for that. But truthfully, you know, from a media perspective, these tweets are are great. I mean, it's something to cover each morning. You know, we, every morning I wake up and there's right. a, new, oh, yeah. a new story yeah. to write. And, um, and it is <laughs> sort of unvarnished look into the mind of the president. I think the point that many people are making is... It is politically detrimental to the president. He's hurting his chances to, you know, win at the Supreme Court by undercutting his team's legal arguments there. He's undercutting his chances to pass legislation because uh, the sort of controversy of the day distracts from what's going on on Capitol Hill or feeds the investigations that are going on on Capitol Hill. Um, so the, criti- you know, I, I think the criticism that you're hearing from from is, is largely from allies of the president who want him to stop tweeting because it is hurting his chances at, at his policy goals. Case in point, uh, the White House announced that this is infrastructure week, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we've we were, been
6: talking a lot about infrastructure. <laughs> we were all going to
1: talk about infrastructure all week, and this was the White House was going to stay on message and get the attention of the nation away from all this Russian stuff. Yeah, yeah, that really worked, didn't it? yeah yeah. it's I no, mean, no who who more than anyone else undercut the White House's infrastructure message right the President of the United States
6: exactly no yes
1: no. Yes. Yes. yes next but, question
2: <laughs>
6: <laughs> um, and so yeah I mean I, I am sure there are many sort of frustrated <laughs> professionals that are working at the White House or working for Republicans on Capitol Hill who you know see this stuff and say you know no, we're not talking about privatizing air traffic control and the relative merits of that. This week, no. we're not talking about whether or not a package on infrastructure can move through the House and Senate. So and that kind of that kind of media coverage matters to lawmakers because it ratchets up pressures from from their constituents. So you know, if if, if it's an issue that enters sort of the bloodstream of uh, you know of the media, then it, it amplifies it and become something that they're asked about in town halls or in letters or that people start to to vote on. So Now, um, back-to-back
1: um, hearings of the Senate and Intelligence Committee today and tomorrow. Tomorrow's gotten the most attention, but today is going to be very interesting, too, because Dan Coates, the director of national intelligence, is testifying. And the Washington Post, <laughs> <laughs> breaking the, the Times and the Post, have both been really, and I'm sure, I don't mean to take credit away from stories that you've broken at Bloomberg. But the the, the Post breaks the news this morning that Dan Coats is going to testify that before Donald Trump asked James Comey to drop the investigation, he called Dan Coats and Mike Pompeo, CIA director, aside after a briefing in the Oval Office, asked the two of them to stay and asked them to put pressure on James Comey to drop the investigation. Yeah, and, That is also pretty startling.
6: And I think the reason that this is a, a problem for President Trump is it goes from, you know, an instance of, you know, one occasion the president kind of going to bat for his friend, maybe stepping over a line that he didn't realize existed, to now something that he's doing repeatedly time and time again. And for critics who say this really looks like an attempt to obstruct this investigation into the, the right. you know the ties between him and and russia this is more evidence of the president personally intervening again we don't have the sort of smoking gun that um that there was direct collusion and and i think i'm not sure if we're ever going to see that but it does sort of feed the controversy well there,
1: there there are two issues there's the the, the the possibility of not certainly no evidence yet of collusion with the Russians, but then there's also the possibility of obstruction of justice by the president of the United States. Um, now, perhaps two attempts that somebody's going to have to interpret whether that's an obstruction of justice or not.
2: Yeah, I mean we're looking at that. I mean that we already have, and I think that's
1: what the in front of us, this yeah. hearing today is and tomorrow.
6: And, I mean, this is the real danger, and I think, you know, why the president and the White House are are so sensitive about this. When one of these investigations starts, you never know where it's going to spiral out. I mean, we saw this with Bill Clinton where yeah. it started, <laughs> you know, it right. it began as an investigation into a land deal in Arkansas, and we ended up with Monica Lewinsky in the blue dress, right? It's just like you never know where one of these is going to sort of spiral out to. Michael Flynn, you know, everybody is concerned about we start with his contacts with uh, the Russian ambassador that weren't disclosed, and we end up with him possibly not disclosing you know, money that he's gotten from the government from the of Tur- Turkey. So yeah. these things just expand out and out and out and, and become more and more of a headache for, for the White House. Right. Um, the role of the
1: sons, Eric and Donald <laughs> Jr., <laughs> has uh, popped up again in the last couple of days, particularly because... Yesterday, the, the two of them appeared, uh, taped independently, but both of them, uh, the, the the interviews appeared on Good Morning America, where these are the guys who are supposedly just running the business, having nothing to do with the White House, nothing to do with politics. Uh, when it comes to Donald Jr., his comments about the mayor, the, that's the one about the mayor of uh, of London, Rather
3: than the mayor of London attacking, maybe he should do something about it. Maybe he should do something to fix the problem rather than just sit there and pretend there isn't one. Echoing exactly what his father has said, and
1: just before we comment on that, Eric, his brother, uh, asked about the Russian investigation.
3: It's the greatest hoax of, of all time. I was there throughout the campaign. We have no dealings in Russia. We have no projects in Russia. We have nothing to do with Russia. So what are
1: they doing here,
3: Justin?
6: <laughs> well, I'll come back to that in a second. First, I wanted to extend my condolences. I know that you were, you know, the head of the Democratic Party. And in that think... same interview, Eric said that Democrats aren't people. are people. So... Oh, no. no. People. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, oh, I'm, sorry. You? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've that, been though. downgraded oh, yeah. from, you know, <laughs> oh, human sorry, status.
1: Um, <laughs> For the record, I was only head of the Democratic Party. In, in California, California, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah.
6: Um, <laughs> Not the world. Yes. Not but yet. Never, I just wanted to extend my condolences first. I, I accept um,
1: that. I feel very badly.
6: But, uh, <laughs> but I think what this is is evidence of is that um, the White House is struggling to find surrogates, especially amid this sort of this week and the Russia probe that are willing to go out and defend the president. Ooh. And- uh the fact that we are getting down to his sons who are theoretically divorced from the politics of this right. is a sign to me that That's you know a good point. that they don't have yeah. you know what i expect to see on the morning shows is republican senators and republican congressmen coming out and saying good this point. is a witch yeah. hunt yeah. this isn't true we don't ha-. and what you are seeing <laughs> is that – or even <laughs> officials and what you right. are seeing is that there appears to be a reluctance on behalf of um those kind of traditional people, whether in the White House or on Capitol Hill, to stake their name onto saying, you know, this is this is not true. Donald Trump is completely innocent. This is this is you know ridiculous. And a big reason for that is they've gotten burned before. They go out and they defend the president or they defended Donald Trump, the the, the candidate, and then they see him immediately undercut them. You know, days or days or weeks later. Yeah. Well, there's always Jeffrey Lord. There's always Jeffrey Lord.
2: It's really remarkable because I was watching one. Your point
1: is right. You did not see um, even Mitch McConnell. Yeah,
2: I mean,
6: Mitch McConnell yesterday again reiterated that he wasn't a fan of the president's tweets. I mean, that was his big Capitol Hill message yesterday. The best
2: they can do – I saw Ted Cruz, uh, I guess it was Monday, and the best they could do is just sort of sidestep it. Right. Well, we just we're not going to talk about that. It's all conjecture, and they, they they won't go to the mat for him
6: at all. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think,
2: but like you know, it's like Ted Cruz, Donald Trump stood up there and essentially said his dad killed JFK. John McCain's <laughs> not going to come out and support him. He, right. Guy called him a loser because he got shot down. He's beat up so many of his own potential surrogates that you're right.
0: And this is dumb kids out there.
6: And this is the real problem for the president right now is that, (laughs) you know, he is in what could be a real political crisis for his administration. I mean, I know that we seem to have been careening from one of those to the next. But we're at a point where his approval ratings are around 35, 36 percent, where this scandal can move from something that is a political problem to something that is a legal problem. We're at a situation where, um, you know, the Republicans who didn't like Hillary Clinton in the exurbs and suburbs of, you know, some of those blue collar states that that ended up flipping for Donald Trump are abandoning him according to the polling data. And if he can't turn it around, I mean, Republicans have to start worrying about, you know, a wave in a year and a half. and. Uh, and so these are vital moments, and the fact that Republicans are unwilling or afraid to to kind of go to the bat to defend him really says something about you know where his, what the status of this White House is. Yeah,
1: even I thought it was uh, telling that um, George Conway, Kellyanne Conway's husband, yeah, I, dropped out of joining the administration, which has a, been a pretty big. Fat Job as Solicitor General. Well,
6: and then went on Twitter and publicly and. <laughs> criticized the president for his right. tweets. And, and, you know, I, I do think that uh, Kelly, I, I don't want to say that Kellyanne was directing, you know, what her husband tweeted or, or vice versa. I don't want to suggest that. But Kellyanne has used sort of outside media to try to hmm. pressure the president before we saw when she was really not a fan of Mitt Romney as a potential secretary of state. And she went out. Mm-hmm. very publicly. you know, She's a advisor of the president. There's transitions going on. She certainly could get a meeting yeah. with him if she wanted to say, I, I don't think Mitt Romney should be it. But she went out on the news and said it vocally and ended up sort of prevailing. And so you have to wonder if the Conway family is, has not learned that this is a way to try to Get through to the president in a way that you can't in a in a one on one conversation.
1: So he is there for Bloomberg Politics uh, in the highest rated highest rated um, White House press briefings ever in history, <laughs> with uh, Sean Spicer or Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, every day. <laughs> Justin, again, um, congratulations and thank you for coming in. Covered Thanks a lot for having of territory. me. Now. Um, Get down there and figure (laughs) out what the latest is today. Exactly, And I want you to be writing about infrastructure this week. Yes, of course. Listen, I did. You had to go find it on the Bloomberg Terminal. (laughs) 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 Jen Bendery covers the Congress and the White House for Huffington Post. She joins us next here on the Bill Press Show. Stay tuned.
2: My two sons, who are right here, Don and Eric, are going to be running
1: the company they are going to be running it in a very professional manner they're not going to discuss it with me
0: download our podcast search for the bill press show on itunes and remember to rate review and subscribe this is the bill press show Same great show. New great channel. Stream live
1: video at youtube.com the Bill Press Show. All right, on a Wednesday, June seventh, uh, rolling right along here on the uh, Bill Press Show. Busy, busy day with breaking news this morning and breaking news last night. It's hard to keep up with. Uh, but that's why we're here and we're good to see all of you today. Coming to here live from our nation's capital and capital from our nation's capital and our studio in Capitol Hill where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees. Big profile in the Washington Post yesterday about President J. David Cox, president of the AFGE, Uh, the men and women of the AFGE. Proud to work for America every day. Check out their website at AFGE.org. Covering the White House and the United States Congress for HuffPost. Jen Bender here in studio with us. Hi, Jen. Good to see you. Hi, Bill. What's going on? Oh, not much. How are the bad news Bears doing? <laughs> bad, news babes. bad news babes. Babes. I'm sorry. Or the babes. Yeah, the bad news. Um, babes. We're doing
5: fine. Our our congressional I, softball game is coming up. in I know. A couple you, of weeks.
1: You're one of the stars. I'm surprised you're not. You know, in in uh, sports gear this morning. I didn't
5: realize to... this was time to begin.
1: Aren't you working? Promoting practicing? the game in
5: here. I sh- I will come in here in my uniform next time.
1: But, I mean, you must... <laughs> I'm,
5: I'm sure everybody wants to see me in a uniform. You guys must be practicing
1: for the game, right?
5: No? Oh, yeah. We practice every week. Oh, okay. um, we go to the batting cages on the weekends. Yeah. Uh, tr- we got We to step up our, our trash talk.
2: <laughs> you guys took an L last year, didn't you?
5: We You we lost, won. right? Oh, we you, won, you last won last year. year. Okay. Come on. Uh, well, uh, just because we lost the prior two or three years, I was going to say you, had you like the like skin. All right, yeah. good for you. Yeah, no, we good won good last good. year, right. um, and we're we're looking good. We're looking good. We've got like two weeks to go, and we've been going to the batting cages. We've got some sluggers. Um, the well, ticket sales are through the roof.
1: So, uh, it, this the, the um, reporters, women, women reporters, challenge the women members of Congress, right? Mm-hmm. Every so, who are the stars in the uh, among the congressional players?
5: Among the members? Members. Well, Sherry Bustos is really good. Is she? Oh, oh, yeah. She's very surprise. good. She's, she's extremely yeah. competitive yeah. and very good. Uh, but she also, you know, she can talk herself up. And oh, you know, maybe she needs to step back a little bit. She's from downstate uh, <laughs> Illinois. There. You know, she's, yeah, yes, rough and tumble. She's great. Um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is pretty good. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kirsten Gillibrand. She, really? Oh. She almost got a home run last year. Uh huh. But I, I, I actually caught her ball. And I ruined her moment. <laughs> Good for you. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. yeah.
3: Does Linda Sanchez play? Because I know she plays in the baseball game. Linda
5: Sanchez arguably was their best player, but I think she had to choose between the congressional baseball team and the congressional women's softball game. I don't know why, Uh. but maybe she personally wanted to only do one. I think she's sticking with a baseball game. She's the only woman, I think who plays in that entire baseball or is game. that right? And she's one of the best players of anybody. Yeah. Is yeah.
2: it true that Debbie Wasserman Schultz steals signals and gives them to other members of the team uh, like she did when she was at the DNC? Or, Compromat. Or is, <laughs> is that what that is?
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Now, Dan, um, right. <laughs> there is an article in the Washington Post this morning about the fact that... So it, it mentions there's something... There used to be like um, 55,000 daily newspapers in the country... And today there are like maybe 30 left, 30,000 left. Uh, but every one of those papers has a reporter covering the Congress, <laughs> hanging out to snag members of Congress as they walk through the halls. But the, the the point is that it's become so crowded with reporters on Capitol Hill that it's almost like a, a, a safety hazard for members of Congress or senators walking through What's going on? You're part of that scrum. I am are part you? of
5: that scrum. It is not pleasant. There are too many people in there. Uh, you know, uh, it's great that there's so, so many reporters working well, what's the and covering of, what's politics. What's the advantage of
1: being there? In the,
5: the, well, the obvious advantage is you have direct access to a member of Congress. You can walk up to John McCain in a hallway and ask him a question directly, or you can walk up to Paul they, Ryan. Or, because
1: they're they're not cordoned off like people in the White House are, right? You, can, you have access to them because they have to walk from... Their office to the hill. Or, I mean, to the chamber and
5: isn't it? It's a pretty amazing rooms. level of access. I mean, I've yeah. been up. I've been doing this for about ten years, <laughs> and it's still it, it's still kind of amazing to me that we can do this because, it you know, you read articles about something. Let's say that Senator Lindsey Graham says, and you're reading it like, wow, did he really say that? What was he talking about? You can get up from your desk walk out into the hallway, walk down to the Senate chamber, stick around for a little bit, and he's going to walk by, and you can ask him yourself. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. You can make news from talking to one person. That's a a whole standalone article sometimes, just talking to one senator about an issue.
1: Well, it's a two-way street, right? They must love it, too. There, There have to be some ways they could escape if they wanted to, no?
5: Yes. So so there are some senators who love press attention, Lindsey Graham being one of them, Uh, Bob Corker. Shocking, (laughs) I know. John McCain. Um, But yeah, especially when it's a a senator who might be in a close reelection campaign coming up, they suddenly start to disappear. From their usual routes, and you notice them disappearing because you're used to seeing them at the same time on the same day when there's like a Senate lunch. They walk the same route from their building. Uh So Dean Heller, for example, Senator from Nevada, who's up in 2018, seen as one of the more vulnerable senators up for reelection. He's suddenly not around anymore. He doesn't walk in the way he used to walk in. Uh, a, a colleague of mine said that he started hanging out on the first floor of, of the Capitol building versus the second floor, wow. because it appears that most of us are on the second floor, because that's where the entrance is into mm-hmm. the House and Senate mm-hmm. chamber. Mm-hmm. First floor is just kind of a, a hallway with tourists and aides, yeah. but it appears that Dean Heller has taken to walking on the first floor now, it seems, to avoid dealing with the press. Which is not just him. There's lots of other lawmakers who do this. They just become invisible suddenly as it gets right. closer to the election so, uh, season. But now it's pretty early. It's, it's mm-hmm. June 2017. This, you know, his race wouldn't be till uh, November 2018. But it just it shows, you know, how early this kind of thinking already it, it kicks in a year right. and a half before the election because right. people are that worried.
1: Well, it may be more crowded than ever um, today and tomorrow. Uh, if particularly on the Senate side with the Senate Intelligence Committee, back-to-back hearings, Dan Coats, Director of National Intelligence today, and, of course, James Comey, former FBI Director, tomorrow. Uh, let's start with Comey. What do you expect to hear from Comey? Is he going to say the president is guilty of obstruction of justice?
5: I mean, it sounds like he's not going to say that, just based no. on reports that I've read from sources you know, who've talked to him. It sounds like he'll go in there and he'll talk about his conversation with the president, potentially saying something inappropriate to him about wanting him to just, quote-unquote, let it go and not not investigate him and or his team. But it, it sounds like Comey's going to go in there and talk about that conversation but n- not necessarily take it to the next level and say this was obstruction of justice.
1: So sort we'll of see. Though the Fox News rule. Uh, I report, you decide. Is that-
5: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. I'll tell
1: you what happened. It's up to you to decide what to Yeah, it, it sounds like
5: he does not want to go there and say those words himself.
1: But it also, uh, reportedly, he will uh, – it's interesting to me that for Comey that there have been these leaks about his testimony, which he's got to be somewhat responsible for, right? I mean, who knows where these leaks come from? These, I don't know. These leaks are not coming from the White House, but somehow he wanted – Seems to me to get the word out there, or as people around him did, about what he might say. So we're also told that reportedly he will, however, refute Donald Trump's claim that on three different occasions, Comey informed Donald Trump that he was not the subject of the investigation. Yes,
5: I think that point and the the prior point that it doesn't seem like he's going to state obstruction of justice has happened. I think those it sounds like those are the two main pieces that we're going to hear out of his, his hearing. But, I mean, he could say something else. You know he's going to be grilled by people who have been waiting for this moment for a long time. What does he have to lose? I don't know. He's a free man now. Yeah. I mean, he's got yeah. a reputation he wants to uphold, perhaps, as being you know completely committed to um, you know the FBI's best interests and and not just being a drama queen, which is how Trump tries to cast James right. Comey as like a,
2: a nut job. A you nut call job. He called him a nut
5: job. He's called him a media whore or something. Or yeah. he didn't use those words, but something about how he always wants attention, um, which is. So, you know, Rich. maybe and and don't forget Donald Trump himself has said he might he may tweet
1: yes. throughout
5: James Comey's hearing, which is
1: oh god I, I would say bizarre
5: it. but at this point.
1: I hope I hope he does. He might
5: do it and that's in in sync with his By the way, behavior.
1: we uh you may have to be on location there, but we um uh, want to extend an invitation to you officially right here right now that the Whoa. the Bill Press team, show team is going to be at the um Tune in. Tune right. in. I'm sorry. Tune in. Right hearing. down the street yeah, for the to hearing. Yes. we're gonna have a little. You know, watch you have party. a
5: competing watch party. Oh, a I lot know, of there them. A couple of. No, them a lot in of town. them
1: all over. T- yeah,
2: you're gonna you probably watch at the office, right?
5: I'm gonna be at the hearing.
2: Oh.
1: Oh. Really. Well, but the tune in will be a better place. To see.
5: Maybe I'll cut out of the hearing yeah, just we'll, to come whatever. to the. Tune we'll sneak in, you in
1: some booze. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come to the tune in. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I want to come back to the if Trump if if Comey in fact does say that. I never told Donald Trump he was not the subject of investigation. He may have heard that. He may, That's what he wanted to hear. He may have believed it, but I never told him that. That in and of itself is pretty newsworthy because in, in the letter, his letter where he fired James Comey, Trump says thank you for three times telling me I was not the subject of the investigation.
5: I mean, yes, that would be newsworthy. So many things could be newsworthy out of this. The fact that he's going to call out Trump for lying or, or for... Uh, Asking him to let it go, even even if he's not going to say that was a, a, an attempt at obstruction of justice, to hear those words come out of James Comey's mouth—that confirming that that's what Trump said to him one-on-one mm-hmm. about his investigation—let it go. That's that's crazy. That's totally inappropriate. And I think some could argue that is obstruction of justice. It's the president of the United States telling the FBI director to not move forward with an investigation into the president's campaign team. What mm-hmm. what is that?
1: Right. Uh yeah, I think it there's
5: a lot of things about this that are look surreal like a duck and walks like a duck quacks like yeah. a duck as far <laughs> as I'm
1: concerned so today's testimony, which has not gotten as much attention, I think as it might deserve, um the Director of National Intelligence Dan Coates uh reportedly will testify uh as reported by the Washington Post this morning that before he asked James Comey to drop the investigation. Donald Trump called aside Dan Coats and Mike Pompeo, director of the CIA, and asked them in a meeting in the Oval Office to pressure James Comey to drop the investigation, which they both felt was inappropriate and did not do. And when they didn't do it, then Trump asked Comey himself. So, you know, let's back, back up again. That gets, sounds close, if that's what he in fact says today, to being, again, Evidence of obstruction of justice, or an attempt. It
5: does to, to me. I don't. I, I don't actually know if there's some like legal moment when it, something becomes obstruction of justice. But if you just take a step back and look at this, how how is that not the president of the United States saying this to his top intelligence people and and the top FBI director? I mean, that these aren't just a couple of guys sitting around talking. These are like the most powerful people, who are, one of whom is supposed to keep a check. Mm-hmm. on the other one. So I don't understand why people aren't calling it that. It, it, I, I suppose well, because we have to hear it directly from right. Dan Coates' mouth and, and from James Comey's mouth. But that seems pretty shady. Imagine imagine Barack Obama doing this. Oh, yeah. Or, or re- imagine Hillary Clinton doing this as president. There no, would be so well, many Republicans already uh, are you ready to throw her out I on can't an do obstruction of yeah, I can't
2: do that anymore, by the way, because like, I've done that so many times of... Just imagine if Barack Obama did this, yeah. or just imagine if Hillary Clinton did this, or Jesus, just imagine if, like, if Martin O'Malley had somehow, like, literally anybody else.
5: But particularly uh, Hillary Clinton or, or Barack yeah. Obama, because some people just hate them so yeah, much fair. that they're looking for anything. Like, remember when, when Obama wore a tan suit and everybody freaked out? That was the biggest out? scandal. That, One, that was, that was his scandal. biggest scandal.
1: One day, yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> by the, the impeachment hearings would have already begun for Hillary Clinton. You know that. Perhaps. Yeah, probably. Um, So related to that is that James Comey, again reported today by the New York Times, was so thrown by Donald Trump's asking him to drop the investigation that he went to Jeff Sessions and said, I never want to be alone with the president of the United States again.
5: (laughs) Wow. I know.
1: Stunning. Right. (laughs)
5: Yeah, I mean, he's I wouldn't a, want to be either, because at what point yeah. does it start to implicate James Comey for having these conversations if, yeah. he, if they keep happening? So do you he think He's more famous
1: than me. <laughs> yeah, he's more famous than me, right. <laughs> so do you think that um, uh, Jeff Sessions today wishes he had stayed in the Senate?
5: <laughs> no, I think Jeff Sessions... With, I think he's wanted to move up and be this powerful for a long time.
1: With reports, of course, I'm referring to that... Uh, Donald Trump is so pissed at him that that Jeff Sessions, even before Donald Trump left for Europe, said, "Okay, if you're not that if you're not happy, I'll just quit. I'll resign. Offered to resign.
5: I mean, Jeff Sessions was one of Donald Trump's earliest supporters on the campaign trail. He was by his side when nobody was yet. So the fact that he's now his his uh, attorney general and getting flack for. Let's talk about what he's getting flack for, by the way. Trump is pissed at him because he recused himself from the Russia investigation. Mm -hmm. Because he was connected to the campaign, which is being investigated. That's a minimal move by Jeff Sessions to let this investigation proceed. And that is enough for the president to feel that Jeff Sessions has betrayed him. And, you know, he's outraged and he shouldn't have done that. And that is enough for Jeff Sessions to feel this wrath and offer to resign.
1: Now, that's number one. Number two is that Jeff Sessions took the second Muslim ban, not the first one. And that's the one he appealed to the Supreme Court which Donald Trump calls the watered-down version, uh, the politically correct version, which, oh, by the way, Donald Trump is the one that signed it. Mm-hmm. And he's blaming it, on, blaming it on Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions didn't sign it. He didn't write it, right?
5: And Just to make this even more complicated, don't forget that Jeff Sessions a- appeared to have lied to a Senate committee about his contact with Russian officials during the campaign, and during the transition, once, twice, potentially three times. So that— It appears he may have perjured himself. This is the attorney general, so this is there's a lot of mess in this mess. There's a lot of layers here with different people. So we're talking
1: about all of this, and Congress is dealing with all of this. Meanwhile, what's really being done? What's really being accomplished in Congress?
5: That's a good question. Um, Well, this is supposed to be infrastructure week, as the White House declared. So Mm -hmm. we were, you know, told that there would be some incredible package. Uh, How's that unveiled. infrastructure
1: bill lo- uh, doing? How's it? Well, look? let's
5: see. It's Wednesday. We've we've mm-hmm. watched the president insult uh, Qatar, uh, one of our allies in the Middle East, and and uh, insert ourselves into a Middle East dispute. Now we've seen the president go off on Twitter again about the mainstream media being fake news. We've got a Russia hearing uh, mm-hmm. today and tomorrow. Um, that's what's going on this week. There's <laughs> yeah. no infrastructure bill. There's no. Uh, there's no tax reform bill. There's no health care bill. Whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, wait, wait a minute. I was in the Rose Garden last Thursday when the president announced that he was pulling out of the P- Paris Climate Accords and he was talking about all the progress they're making and he said, we're making great progress on our t- tax bill. It's moving along. Republicans are doing a great job.
5: There's literally no bill. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. There's not even a bill, let alone uh, progress. Uh, progress on a bill. and I mean, the, the, the order here is... They want to do health care reform first, because theoretically that frees up some money that they can use toward tax reform. So there's a reason for the order here. So now they're, they're the Senate is having a lot of talks about their health care plan, the Republicans are. They had a big meeting yesterday. We A bunch of us reporters talked to them after the meeting, and all they said was basically like, we've had a really good talk. Um, we're seeing some common ground with each other on pieces of a bill we'd like, but there's no bill. There's no deadline that they're setting now. It keeps changing. Um, and they're just, there's no there, there right now. I mean, it's not to say that they, they won't come up with a, a bill to right. repeal Obamacare yeah. on their own, but in this moment, they don't have a bill and they don't even appear close to having a bill a, a bill
1: are you talking about but well, first of all no tax reform bill right
5: tax reform is like not even okay. happening right no now no
1: infrastructure bill no infrastructure and no healthcare, healthcare bill healthcare is
5: their number one thing right now and, and that's where they're focused and is, and is there, there
1: no bill on there's health? no
5: bill and there's no unanimity on what should be in the bill this and i'm just talking about among senate republicans which is now the yeah, where right. the ball is so it's up to them to decide if they can all find some kind of bill to, that gets rid of Obamacare or replaces it with something better, which you know we have yet to see, it's up to them on if they want to punt on this or if they want to keep chipping away at something and come up with a bill that they believe that they can pass, which mm-hmm. in this moment, they don't have a bill or the votes to pass a bill.
2: I've signed 36 bills into law and repealed one job-crushing
1: regulation after another. Uh, Donald Trump yesterday, Uh, By the way, one of the bills that he signed, I saw last night, was a bill that names a federal building after Fred Thompson.
5: Yes. Yes. When he talks about the number of bills he signed, let's take a look at what those bills are. Mm -hmm. Bills to name buildings after people. What an accomplishment.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What leadership. (laughs) Whoop-de-doo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if we look end of the summer or end of the year, I mean, are we going to see – Health care, tax reform, infrastructure legislation th- through the Senate.
5: Well, that's that's the million dollar question. That's what everyone wants to know. But um,
1: didn't it, Mitch McConnell set a deadline? Give the Senate a deadline for doing. He would healthcare? like
5: to have a health care bill passed before the August recess, so that gives them about a month and a half to so come up with a bill and pass well, it. Well, not
1: counting the the. Breaks that they will take between now and then.
5: I'm not. Do they? Yeah, they do. They have a July 4th of course, week they, off. yeah.
1: right? So two there, weeks, he two would weeks.
5: like to have something passed by the August recess, but um, I think that is extremely ambitious. But at, at the same time, I, you don't want to underestimate Mitch McConnell. He's he's very good at uh, reading the political climate, deciding what he can and can't do, and what will ultimately what will benefit him. He to, will move very shrewdly on that one.
1: To what extent? D- does the um, disarray, if you will, at the White House impact the legislative agenda?
5: There is no legislative agenda right now, so that's that's, that's how it impacts it. That's, <laughs> there, it, that's there's the so answer. Much, huh? There's so many mixed mes- messages coming out of the White House. There's so much disarray from the Russia investigations. Um, Republicans themselves don't like some of the things that, that Trump is doing, and saying that doesn't that doesn't build consensus on a bill to work on together and pass that's why there's nothing that's happened the only real thing that's happened since since Trump became president is they put a Supreme Court nominee on the on the court right. that was a substantial real thing yeah they've passed some bills on regulations um, but they have not they have not accomplished any of their major agenda items this year and th- this is supposed to be the window as a new president when you just Come out of the gate and get all this stuff done when you control Congress.
1: I mean, look at George W. Bush. I mean, the, his tax cuts for the rich. Right. I mean, in early March, as I recall. I mean, they they moved that so fast. You're right, and particularly uh, with Donald Trump, where he's got the House and the Senate and the White House. This is the time, and you would think that they'd really be able to move their agenda, force this is the window, force it through, yes, just by just by the pure mathematics, and, right?
5: Like historically. This is the window, and at a certain point later in this year, people start to shift their attention to the elections again, which is sad, but that's it does that's what right. happens right so this is the prime legislating window, and what we're seeing instead is one investigation after another into russia related things or um, uh, various things that are not on the agenda, basically you know there's the attention has gone off on Trump's tweets and Russia. That's what's sucking the oxygen out of Congress,
1: right? Uh, the other thing that Congress isn't getting done, and the president uh, went after them this this week for it, uh, is they're not confirming his appointees. Why aren't they confirming more of his appointees?
5: Well, the White House isn't sending over appointees. <laughs> so when he raged about Congress moving too slowly on confirming his people, it doesn't take much to look and see. Well, who's who's sitting there in the in the Senate waiting to get confirmed? There's. There's hardly anybody there because the White House either hasn't nominated people to literally hundreds of posts yet or they have nominated a few dozen, but they haven't processed all of their paperwork at, to the point where they can send those nominees over to the Senate. So right. they're, some of them it's like, all literally log jammed like, at the White House. Yeah.
1: For example, um, the U.K., the, the, the ambassador to the U.K., he, he mentioned who he was going to name. He hasn't even still hasn't sent that name up. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can't blame the Senate for not confirming him. Right. Same right. thing with John Huntsman, who was supposed to be the new ambassador to Moscow. We were told that. His paperwork hasn't gone up to the Senate yet. Can't confirm right. him. CBS reported last night that in the State Department, Donald Trump has nominated 11 people for 188. There's still 188 empty slots for State Department. But these include ambassadors and and. And only 11 people, as he named And part of the problem
5: is people don't want these jobs.
1: Oh, Hmm. yeah. Well, in a sense,
5: (laughs) can't (laughs) blame them,
1: right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, you've got a lot of uh, a big day today and tomorrow, Uh, Jen Bendry. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. All right. And be careful. Don't get run over by your colleagues chasing a story over there. I'll do my best. Hey, that's it for today, folks. Thanks for joining us. Come back again tomorrow. We'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show.